Hey, my name is Paige, one of our servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. Yeah, we're, we're jumping into to week number two of our Advent series, and we're really kind of going through the four themes of Advent. Advent, once again, simply means the arrival. It's just the arrival of Jesus. It's where we look back and celebrate Jesus' birth, and we anticipate with great anticipation his second coming again, and, and that's what Advent is all about. We're looking at these four themes, hope, peace, joy, in love. And our friend Nick Nye spoke last week about hope and how hope is a, is a future promise, but imagined in our present reality. And, and we find great, significant hope in Jesus when oftentimes in different seasons of our life, all hope may feel like it's been, it's been lost. And next week, we're going to talk about God's gift of love. And if I can just be honest, I don't think I'm supposed to say this type of a thing, but it's the message in this series I'm most looking forward to. And so, so hopefully you're able to come and, and we're just going to receive and, and lean into God's gift of love to us. There's been some things I've really been challenged by as it relates to God's love most recently. And so hopefully you're able to, 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 to come and attend next weekend or watch online. But today I want to talk about kind of those two middle themes, peace and joy. And, and these two themes in particular can often sort of go in one ear and out the other because we hear peace and joy and we're like, I've heard a million Christian messages about peace and joy and in particular around this time of the year. But, but I hope as we lean in this morning that you're not only challenged but equally encouraged as well. I want to share from a message entitled, A King A King Was Born. Or if you're taking notes and you want to write down a subtitle as well, you can just say Jesus as King. This particular time of the year, we all get this question quite frequently. And if we're not being asked this question, we are asking this question. What do you want for Christmas? Come on, remember when you were a kid, how much fun that question was to answer? Like, I remember we used to get the Toys R Us magazine Hashtag rest in peace, Toys R Us. But we would get the magazine and we would circle all of the items from the magazine that we wanted the most. And me and my siblings, my brother is here somewhere and we would, we'd all circle the items and we'd hand it back to our parents. And, and my dad at some point would look at this massive list of 77 items that we wanted. He'd like narrow it down to two. You get two, right? And, and I remember thinking back even just this past week about some of the things that I would ask for. Almost every year during my, ele- my elementary age years, I would, I would ask for, come on, a race car track. Anybody else ever ask for or even receive a race car track? They were so fun, right, Luis? Like you'd hold it in when you're on the straightaway and you'd let off just in time before that car would just fly off the track around the turn. Like it was so much fun. I remember some of you, my, my sisters, they would, they would always ask for, for some dollhouses. I think this was like the gift of choice that we would get for my, for my daughter, for years, all she ever wanted was just more and more dolls. Here, this next one was not only a gift to my sister, but it became a gift to all of us. The Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> Who had an Easy Bake Oven in here? Come on. A lot of you, yes. That little light would heat up to about 130 degrees, just burn everything you had, right? Like, <laughs> this, this next one, though, was just, it was one of the best. Like, I... I'll never forget when I received a Game Boy. My life was changed forever. Like forever. For the first time, like some of y'all, you have no idea how that changed our world. For the first time, we were not bound by strings and we could take this thing on the road, on the road. 
It was amazing. As you grow older, though, the gifts become a whole lot less fun. Like nowadays, my family says, what do you want? I'm like, socks. <laughs> Give me some socks. My wife knows almost all of my socks have holes in them. Every time she washes them, she says, can I please throw these away? No, they're still functioning just fine. They do the job. They keep my little piggy toes nice and warm. And what, what do you want? What do you want? It, the question at Christmas time is fun, but... Let's just think about this on a little bit deeper level. What, what do I really want in life? Like, ask that question for just a moment, just to yourself. Like, how, how often do we slow down long enough to unhurry a significant portion of our lives to really answer that question honestly? Like, what, what is it that I really want? Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythm, she wrote that in religious circles, we are much more accustomed to silencing our desire, distancing ourselves from it, because we're suspicious and afraid of its power. We don't often like to ask this question within the circle in which we are in right now, because we almost feel like I shouldn't really answer that question. What do I, what do I really want? It feels too superficial. It doesn't feel spiritual enough. And and yet the, the truth is that Jesus often asked people, what do you want? Like he would put the ball in their corners. Think about Matthew, or Mark rather, in the 10th chapter, James and John, these two brothers are having this conversation. They kind of go behind the back of the other 10 disciples and some of their closest friends as well. And they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we, we have a request. We have something we'd like to ask you. And, yeah, what's up? We, we, we want to be on your left and on your right when you go to your throne and you establish like the eternal kingdom that you came to establish and you're going to be the king. We, we know you're the king, but, but like we want to be, be like the best of the best that you have, your left and your right hand. And Jesus says, yeah, look, I get it. I'm glad that you're bringing this to me, but you don't really know what you're asking for. And then just a few verses later though, Jesus shows up in this small town and there's a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus and, and Bartimaeus is crying out for Jesus because Bartimaeus' friends have told him, hey, there's a, a healer, his name is Jesus, and he's like here in our town. And so Bartimaeus just starts yelling out for Jesus. Jesus comes in front of Bartimaeus and he says, hey, hey, what, what do you want? What do you want? Which seems like a really dumb question. What do you want? I, I'm I'm blind. I want to see. Well, I can, I can do that. And Jesus takes care of the, takes care of the challenge, takes, takes care of the problem. What, what I'm getting at here is that, that Jesus actually likes it when we bring these things to him. And so this is the opportunity, this is the greatest space that we should wrestle with these questions. Like, what in life do you really want? Because it's always better to unpack what you want with Jesus than it is outside of, outside of Jesus. Forbes magazine did a survey recently where they just asked a bunch of folks. They said, hey, what do you want? And the top seven responses were happiness, money, freedom, peace, balance, fulfillment, and confidence. Which if we asked ourselves today, if we, we kind of took a survey today, and I'd just say that the top seven responses probably wouldn't be much different in here than what Forbes recorded. I know that even in my own life, I'd say, yeah, like those are all things that I would absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I, want, I want some of those in my life. They're not all that superficial, but let's just take this again just a little bit, a little bit deeper because Advent, the season that we're celebrating right now, is an annual tradition. This, this is the beauty of Advent right here. It's an annual tradition on the Christian calendar that reminds us 
that the advent of Jesus, that his arrival, his coming, more specifically that a relationship with Jesus results in hope, peace, joy, and love. And furthermore, everything that we really want, I would argue that all seven of these responses, that on a deeper level, they all point to hope, peace, joy, and love. What we really want when we say we want more money is we want more joy. And we think the avenue is money. What we really say we want more confidence is that we want more love. And we think that the avenue is through more, more confidence. But there's a, there's a layer beneath the surface that we oftentimes neglect, that we oftentimes don't realize. And what we're all really after is hope, peace, joy, and love. And by hope, I don't, I don't mean wishful thinking. Nick talked in greater detail about that last week. And by peace, I don't, I don't mean ignorance. We don't, we don't ascertain peace by simply ignoring reality. Jesus, no, I want to give you peace in the midst of the challenging real situation that you're in. By joy, we're not talking about happiness. Though happiness isn't a bad thing. And I think there's a large part of joy that results in happiness. Like, come on, I love, I love to laugh. But even when things aren't hysterically funny, we can still experience a significant degree of joy that oftentimes kind of eludes many of us. And by love, we're not talking about changing the way that we, changing the way that we live necessarily in order to receive love. We're talking about love that Jesus brings. That is, that is unconditional, no, no strings attached kind of a love. And I guess here's what I'm really getting at. The question, what do you want? It probably isn't the best question because truthfully, we're probably all answering that question the exact same way. If we dug further, far enough beneath the surface, I think all of us would say, yeah, like what I really want is hope, peace, joy, and love. So I think the better question, because questions matter. I think the better question is, how am I pursuing what I really want? How am I going after it? Like, when I lack hope, I have to ask myself, I gotta be honest, what, what is it that I try to attempt to control to find it again? Or when I lack peace, who do I vent to or look to to make me feel better once again. When I lack joy, what do I buy? Or how many more hours do I work? Or how many jobs do I, do I try to apply for in hopes that maybe the next job will finally be the job that gives me what I've always been looking for? When I lack love, to whom do I seek approval from? Advent marks something. And that's the beauty of this season. That's why we can't just rush through this season. That's why it's so easy. I was just sharing with a friend, my, my friend Ross, just, just this morning, I shared with him how easy it is just to kind of go through this season so quickly and so hurried that we miss out on the beauty of being reminded once again that this season is really all about hope, peace, joy, and love that we find and can only be found in Jesus now, if you're newer to church, or you're not sure what you believe about faith, and this Jesus stuff is still something you're exploring, we're so glad that you're here, and we're so glad that you're exploring it. And yet, I'm convinced that no matter how hard you try, no matter how many things you try to ascertain, no matter how much effort you put into it, outside of Jesus, you can't, you just can't find it. You're just never going to achieve it. That Advent marks God's coming into our midst, 
It's a pronouncement that God has sent Jesus to reveal what we all really want the most. And this coming is not something that happened in the past. It's a recurring possibility here and now in the present. And that's ethos. That's the beauty of Advent. But how? Okay, more practically, how do we actually experience this hope, peace, joy, and love in our lives? And hopefully you're asking that question because because I think we need to be. Because for for most of us, we're just looking for it in all of the wrong places. Well, let me just unpack how just briefly. We're gonna we're gonna kind of get a little bit intellectual here for just a moment. So just hang with me because this is this is important to understand as well. The events associated with the birth of Jesus fulfilled numerous Old Testament prophecies that were given centuries, some even millennium before the events they described actually took place. And by that, I simply mean this: that Matthew and Mark. The first and third book of our New Testament were written by a man named Matthew, a man named Mark, and both of them wrote these books, what we call the gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. They wrote them predominantly to a skeptical crowd or to to a skeptical individual. Somebody who said, look, I want to know more about Jesus, but I'm just not sure that I believe everything that I've heard about Jesus. In essence, Matthew and Mark, or Matthew and Luke rather, they were the first alpha court. Come on, somebody. There's a little alpha plug for you, Weston. Like they were the first alpha course where people were like, more, share with me why I should believe in this Jesus fellow that y'all are, are talking about. And so one of the ways in which they do this is they begin to point out how there were all of these Old Testament prophecies that were given hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus fulfilled them, dotted every I and crossed every T, which by the way, the fulfillment of these prophecies is also one of the greatest apologetic tools that we have as followers of Jesus today to let people know, hey, our faith is not blind faith. We don't simply believe this stuff just because we're like, uh, pin the tail on the donkey here. No, like we have proof to this thing. Like there's real good reason as to why we believe what we believe. And I want to highlight just a handful of these prophecies about Jesus' birth for just a, just a moment. If you can see this, and some of you might be a little bit too small on the back, but the first one is that, that Jesus would be the son of God. And we see this prophesied in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And we see it fulfilled in Christ in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. It goes on and we see that Jesus was prophesied, the Messiah was prophesied to be born of a virgin. That he was going to come from the line of Abraham, of Father Abraham. He had many sons. They're Abraham. I'm one of them. And so are you. And so let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. Some of you are like, I have no idea. And that's why I didn't go to church as a kid because this is a call. Okay, and so (laughs) he was prophesied to be born in, in Bethlehem, to be born into sorrow, which... The reason I highlight that one is because Jesus is not unlike you and I, that he can relate to the human experience, to the sorrow, the pain, the grieving, and the suffering that that we experience. But it's these two at the end that I really wanted to get to. It was prophesied that Jesus would be born and that he'd be one to whom kings would bow. Kings would bow. And that he would be born on King David's throne and he would rule and reign forever. In other words, that Jesus came in the form of a babe, but he came as a king. I want us to look at this in Luke chapter one, verse 30. Nick highlighted this 
this passage last week, familiar passage at this season at, at Christmas time each year, but it says here where, where the angel shows up to Mary and tells Mary, hey, don't be afraid, Mary. I know this is crazy. I know this is weird, but don't freak out right now. You found favor with God. You're gonna conceive and give birth to a son. You're gonna call him Jesus. He's gonna be great. He'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne, the kingdom of his father, David, and he's gonna reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And what I'm getting at here is that, that to have a kingdom implies that you're a king. But Jesus was a new kind of king. He was a king unlike any other king that the, that the listeners of that day were familiar with. And so they expected Jesus to rule and reign in a manner and a posture different than what Jesus came to rule and reign as. In fact, in Mark chapter one, verse 14, we now see Jesus around the age of 30 years old. And it says that later on after John, this is John the Baptist was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. This is what we refer to as the gospel today. And here's a quick description of what the good news is that Jesus preached. If you've ever been, if you've ever been sort of confused about what is the gospel. Jesus himself tells us right here, he says, the time promised by God has come at last. What is that time? Jesus is saying, it's, it's me. The time promised has come. It's me. Your hope has now been fulfilled. I am the promise of God. He announces, he goes on, he says, the kingdom of God is here. It's not something you need to look forward to in the future. It's not something that you look to in the past that isn't present in, the, in this moment. He says, the kingdom of God is here right now. Repent, repent of your sins and believe this good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom is here. What does it mean to repent? It literally means this. It means to change your mind. Change your mind about what you thought was the good news and realize that the good news now is that my kingdom has come here now. Now, why is that good news? I'm glad that you asked. It's, it's good news because with his kingdom comes what we all really want the most. Hope, peace, joy, and love. See, a lot of us misunderstand heaven and earth, and understandably so. And we're going to do a series in the new year. It looks like it'll probably be in the spring of next year, all about the kingdom of God. And so at that point, I think some of this will make a bit more sense because I'm convinced at this point that the kingdom of God is one of the teachings of Jesus that is probably most misunderstood in the Western church today. But more specifically, just for context this morning, we got to understand the kingdom of God is not something in the past, is not something to simply anticipate in the future, the kingdom of God is literally, as Jesus described it, the intersection of heaven and earth today. So prior to this good news, prior to the advent of Jesus, heaven and earth were two completely separate states or places of being. When Jesus shows up, he says, Heaven is no longer some ethereal place out in the distance beyond the landscape of the stars. He's saying it is here, now, today. The kingdom of God has arrived. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to, I want you to receive the invitation into my kingdom. But when you do, and here's the kicker, that when you do, when I do, when we do, we got to submit to Jesus as the king. Because to be a part of a kingdom implies that there's a king. And to be under a king implies that we've surrendered to the ways in which the king desires for us to surrender. 
See, the New Testament vision of God's kingdom is God's kingdom, not ours, which sounds a bit elementary, but I think too oftentimes what we do is we invite God into our kingdom rather than stepping into God's kingdom. I love how the New King James Version writes of Luke chapter 1, verse 33. It says, And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. Of his kingdom. Just goes on and on forever. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is still the king. It hasn't changed. He's still, his kingdom never ends. He's the alpha and the omega. It means he's the beginning and the, the end. There is no end. So now here's a question for us today. This is a question I really want us to wrestle with this morning. So for just a moment, I'm, I'm, I'm asking us to kind of do the, the not so easily done thing in church and just to kind of sit on this question rather than waiting for, okay, Jordan, where are you going next? Just sit on this question for just a moment. Is Jesus my king? Ask that personally. Is he, is he my king? Or, or have I done what is so easy to do? Or have you done what has been so easy for me to do in my life? Have I allowed Jesus to simply be kind of a phone a friend? Remember who wants to be a millionaire? And you had that one shot, man. Once you got to like maybe that $64,000 mark, you're like, okay, I think it's time now. I need to get this question right. I'm gonna phone the smartest friend that I've got. And sometimes we treat Jesus that way as well, or he's simply like a backup plan, or a conscience reliever, or a comforter. And here's the beauty of Jesus, though, is that he actually finds pleasure in being all of those things in your life. Like, it does not grieve him when he finds us saying, Jesus, I know that I haven't really been kind of hanging out. I know I haven't really been surrendered or submitted to your kingdom for quite some time, but I'm really in a pickle, man. Like, I need a, I need a backup plan. Like, I, I, I need to phone my friend, my friend Jesus. Like, Jesus still shows up in that moment. And yet, what I'm telling us here today, this morning, is that we miss out, though, on the better part of Jesus being our king in every other season in our life. Because maybe we find the comfort that we need in the moment that we need it the most. But what we miss out on is his love, peace, hope, and joy in every season, in every circumstance of our life. Because it's only when we submit to King Jesus and receive the invitation of entering into his kingdom that we experience what we all really want the most. And here's the really unusual thing about Jesus as king. He's the king who allows us to decide. He allows us to decide. He invites us. He doesn't intrude into our lives. Now, we're not teaching on this this morning, and this is for some of you who maybe are thinking about this, which is probably just a handful of you. But the Advent season is, once again, it's the, it's the recognition, it's the awareness that we celebrate the arrival of Jesus in the birth of the Christ, and we anticipate his second coming again. At his second coming, his kingdom will intrude into our kingdom. And once and for all, there will not be the option. We will be forced, told, hey, I'm here. And like, you're going to know it. And I'm going to know it. That's called the second coming of Christ. Different teaching for a different day. And it doesn't have to scare you. Sometimes those things are scary. They're not intended to be. They're actually intended to provide us with significant hope. 
That there will come a day where there, are, there is no more grieving, no more tears, no more racism, no more war, no more, no more impoverished children. Like that, like that day brings great hope for the believer. But today, the day in which we live, it's an invitation. He's saying, come. Come be a part of my kingdom today, the intersection of heaven on earth. I'm inviting you to participate in what I've set up. I want you to be in this. Paul says it like this in Romans 14. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. There was a bunch of debate when Paul is writing this about what is the kingdom really all about? He says, it's not about the stuff that you think it's about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy Jesus, what's your kingdom all about? Peace and joy. I'm inviting you to participate and be a part of my kingdom. I began thinking about some of the responses that I've seen, whether in my own life or just in the lives of some of my friends, about ways in which we respond to understanding and knowing that Jesus is king. And I thought one of the ways that I think some people will respond to this is like, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I'm not really sure that what you say is true and possibly this is a hostile approach to the position that many of us hold as it relates to Jesus being our king. And we just kind of hold those things at arm's length and look at disdain towards those who do believe Jesus is king. Or maybe then the second approach is like, man, I'm just considering. And we always pray that we could be a church, a safe space for people just to consider. What would it look like? What does it really mean? What are the full consequences of Jesus being my king? Like, like what, is that, what, is that really, what does that really mean? And so people are just kind of considering. They're sort of on the peripheral. And we always have folks here on a Sunday morning who are so, sort of sitting on the fringes, not really sure. And I, mean, I, I, just, I just hope that never ends. I just pray that we never be a, just a country club church of folks who are just like, just, just all Jesus freaks. Like, I, like I, I consider myself a Jesus freak. Like, I'm crazy about him. But I hope that our church is never just full of people just like me. I mean, the people who are asking questions and have real doubts and concerns, which by the way, I've got my own. We did a whole series on that just a few weeks ago. I think the third one is people who say, I've surrendered. I've surrendered to King Jesus. But at some point in my life or some way along kind of the journey of life, I've sort of pulled some things back from Jesus. There may have been some things that he's asked me to do I just thought, I don't want to do it. And so I've, I at one point surrendered, and there's even portions of my life that remain surrendered to Jesus as my king, but oftentimes I find myself just doing it the way in which I want it to be done. I just sort of pick and choose what I fully surrender and what I choose not to fully surrender. Or for some folks, this is kind of a season or a moment of surrender where we say, okay, I've surrendered until I hear something that just doesn't go in line with what makes me feel comfortable. And so I'm not willing to surrender those portions of my life. Or then the fourth response is a daily, continual surrendering. It's just an everyday decision. I'm continually surrendering to Jesus as king. And when I choose, when you choose When we choose not to daily surrender to Jesus as king, when I opt out, I miss out. When you opt out, you miss out. On what? On true hope, peace, joy, and love. And unfortunately, it takes some time to really realize this to be true. 
I know that it's taken time in my own life to realize that the things that I thought I really want, they didn't do for me what I thought I really wanted. Remember that, remember that old analogy? My wife often uses this. Remember the analogy that you learned in vacation Bible school where you had a donut and in the center of the donut was a hole? And then your vacation Bible school teacher would bring a donut hole and they say, this is Jesus and this donut is your life. And look how Jesus can plug the hole of your life. Like, it's really corny, but it's true. <laughs> like, it's really true. It's like when I, when I opt out of surrendering to Jesus, I, I miss out. And here's how, here's how I know if I'm under, and here's how you know, a litmus test, if you will, of how I'm under the kingship of Christ. How do I know if, I've, if I'm daily surrendering? How do I know if I've really given him full reins to be the king of my life? It's, it's not what happens to me, but it's how I react to it. It's how I react when I get the bad report. It's how I react when things don't go the way I wanted them to go in my career, my vocation. It's how I react when my kids are running in the opposite direction of what I desire for them. When my parents, when my marriage, when the Buckeyes lose to the team up north, like how do I react? Like, which they might get some redemption. Come on, somebody. I know some of y'all are scared of it. I'm not scared of it. Bring them on. Which just means we're going to pray harder. But how do I react? How do I react? Do I lose peace? Do I lose joy? If I do, then, then it's, it's a litmus test of sorts to say, I haven't surrendered to Jesus as king. A few weeks ago, I was just having one of those, you know how sometimes in life when it rains, it pours? It was just one of those moments where it just felt like, I, I just felt like things were weighty. And I just, I was absent of peace, kind of absent of joy. And if I could just be totally honest with you, it was one of those moments where I just thought, I just need to get through the Christmas season. It's such a busy time of the year. If I can just get through this season, if I can just get to December 24th after Christmas Eve Eve, then I can just, whoo, relax. And I, and I realized though, like this is not the state, the place that Jesus desires for me to be. I was lacking peace. I was lacking joy. I have this space, I've talked about it before. I call it the thin place in my house. It's a, it's a 22 square foot space underneath the stairwell going down into my basement. It's a space that I've showed you a picture before. It's a space that I've, I put a bunch of shiplap in and I painted it all white and I put a rug in there, a little chair in my Bible. That's all I've got in my little thin place. I call it my thin place because it's the, it's the thin place for me between heaven and earth. And it's a place where I go frequently just to, just to be with God. That's it. Nothing else takes place there. I just, I don't do any work there. I just, I just go there just to be with God. Now, God is everywhere all the time, and I can meet with him at any moment, but you and I need a space in our lives that is just unhurried, distraction-free, that we know when I go there, that's just, that's just me. That's just me and the Lord. That's just me and my King. And oftentimes what I find in my own life and what I venture to say you experience in your life as well is that I'm experiencing earth, 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 earth. The weight, the weight, the pressure, the pressure, the stress, the stress, the anxiety, the anxiety, the depression, the depression. But there's a continual invitation to step into this, this, this space, this thin place where heaven touches earth. And it's not ethereal, friends. It's not ethereal. 
It's a space where you step into and you are conscious of and you are aware of. And you may not always get goosebumps when you step into that place, but you're just aware. God, I know that you meet me right here. And I just want to meet with you right here, right now, face to face. The author in Hebrews, he writes it like this in chapter 4, verse 16, that we can come boldly to the throne, to the kingdom of our king. We can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we'll find his grace to help us when we need it the most. One scholar wrote of grace that it is the fullness of Jesus. It's the fullness of his hope, peace, joy, and love. And the invitation is you can step into my throne room where I am sitting on my throne as king. And when you step into that place, maybe you've been just experiencing earth, 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 and you just need to step past that thin place and receive the invitation once again, let me be your king. Let me fight your battles. Let me give you peace. Let me give you joy. Let me show you my love. Oh, I know you've screwed up, son. And I know that the reason why you are where you are right now is because it was a decision that you made. It wasn't even just the consequences of life. You got yourself here, but guess what? I still don't abandon you. I still don't let you go. I still don't turn my back on you. Why? Because my throne room is a throne room of mercy where you can receive the mercy that you need and experience the fullness of Jesus. Now I'm going to start kind of closing it out right here. We're going to get really practical here for just a moment, but the first image that we have of God's kingdom is found in the Garden of Eden. And it's the space where God gave the ideal of the Sabbath, of what rest should look like, of how we care for the garden, how we work, of how we fill the earth. It's the space of God's presence. And what's interesting is that in the Hebrew language, which is what most of our Old Testament is written in, the same Hebrew word for presence is the same Hebrew word for face. Now, why is that interesting? Because God's presence is not simply his generally being around as we think of God as being and, and just sort of an omnipresent God. No, it's the intimacy of being face to face with the creator of the universe. Adam and Eve in this original space, this original kingdom of God, they they walked with God in the garden. They had an intimate relationship with God. They talked with God. They pondered sunsets together with God. They named animals with God. They were friends. Hear me, hear me. They were citizens in the kingdom. And then they disobeyed. And they were convinced that their disobedience disqualified them. And I'm convinced that today, one of the major reasons why we don't receive the invitation of Jesus to step into this kingdom, to step into this space where we experience Jesus as king, where we surrender everything to him, where we, as a result, experience a relationship with him that comes with hope, peace, joy, and love. I'm convinced because many of us just feel disqualified. I don't know enough scripture. I don't pray enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. And yet that couldn't be further from the truth. Look at what Paul writes in Colossians 1. He says, In giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you, he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in what? In the kingdom 
the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom. There it is again. Paul is trying to illustrate a point here, that you belong in the kingdom, the kingdom of his son, who he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know what that word redemption means? It literally means ransom. A ransom is an exchange for a prisoner. Sometimes you and I feel like a prisoner to shame, a prisoner to fear, a prisoner to anxiety, a prisoner to depression. Come on, I don't know about you, but you ever feel that way? Like, I just feel like I can't get out of this state. It's a perpetual hamster wheel, the same thing over and over. Just when I think I had the peace that I needed, it evades me once again. It escapes me once again. And Jesus says, are you a prisoner in that place? Well, guess what? I, you, you don't need to be. I've, I've, I've created a redemption. I want to redeem you. I've given a ransom for you. And it's not because you've, you've climbed the proverbial staircase to heaven. It's not because you've done enough good things and as a result now, you can experience the hope, peace, joy, and love of the Father. Well, Jordan, if, if, if I was just as good as so-and-so, then maybe I would have the peace, the joy, the hope, the love that you speak of. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I think for many of us, we sort of envision Jesus kind of at the top of a staircase. And if we can just like pray enough, give enough, go to church enough, be in a small group long enough, then we'll experience the benefits of his kingdom. But no, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, that he says, no, 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 I've brought the king to you. I brought him to you. That's the beauty of the advent. Disobedience doesn't disqualify you from receiving in God's kingdom. The notion that you have to do it on your own disqualifies us from receiving in God's kingdom. And so I'll close with this right here. It's one of my favorite invitations of Jesus. I come back to this all the time. In fact, that thin place that I mentioned a moment ago in my basement, I have this on a post-it or a little three by five note card pinned to one of the stairs going into my base. You should see this space. Like, I can barely fit in it. It's super tight. My dad came over one time and he's like, son, like, I feel bad. This is like what you've got. I'm like, no, dad, like, I need this. Like, I'm so easily distracted. Like, I need this where there's nothing. Like, it's a white wall. That's it. There's no windows and birds. Oh, look at that bird. Like, my wife keeps telling me, she's like, you really are getting older. You love birds way more than you ever did. Like, we go to high banks quite often. I'm like, look at that beautiful bird. She's like, it's a cardinal. We see them every day. I'm like, yeah, but that one's really cool. <laughs> like, the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11, he says, come to me. Who? All. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. He says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened. And I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke, which is Jesus' way of saying my teachings, my way of doing life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And that's where you're gonna find rest for your souls. You don't need to unburden yourself or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. He says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? That's good news. Doesn't feel like good news, but it is because it qualifies you to bring it to me. 
come to me. I'm going to give you real rest. I saw this story the other day. It was not a story. I don't even know why I call it a story, but it was just a, it was just talking about fish five miles down in the ocean. Not a story at all. Just some dumb thing I was reading on the internet, but there's a lot of that out there, but and it was talking about how these fish five miles beneath the surface, how these little sea creatures, when they would, if, if they were ever brought closer to the surface, they would explode because, because they, were, they were created to be in the environment in which they were in. And I think oftentimes what happens in our own lives is when we step away too long, when we step away too often, whether consciously or unconsciously, deliberately or or not so. When we step away from the presence of God, we step away from the kingdom of God. We don't step into this thin place. We don't receive the invitation. We explode as well. You and I were made to live in the kingdom. The reason why sometimes it feels like our life is falling apart is because we've stepped too far out of the space in which we were created to live. So is Jesus my king? Is he your king? Is he our king? 